at all surprised if uh, you had no idea who that woman on the screen was. In fact, I'd, actually, I'd probably be a little bit more surprised if you did, if anybody did know who she was. Um, her, her name is Annie or no. And she just happens to be the most recent winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature. Now, I have no idea really what she's written. I don't even know what she really writes about. I did a quick um, Google search of her name and, and then found a Wikipedia article and just saw like a few quick facts about her life. Um, but let's just imagine for a moment that you are a college professor, college literature professor, and you have just scored like the mother of all guest lecturers because you are going to have the Nobel Prize winner lead one of your classes. And so the day comes, and the students file in, find their seats, and Annie or no comes, sits down toward the front. And you then, as the professor, get up in front of your students, and you say, boys and girls, ladies, gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you Annie, a former high school teacher. something wrong with that introduction, isn't there? There are actually a few problems. Um, first, it's, it's insulting. And secondly, and, and one of the reasons maybe why it's insulting is because you haven't given proper credence to her real accolades, right? The, the prestige that she holds in her community. And then third, you also haven't given your students, those gathered around you, a real reason why she's worth their time and their attention. The way that we introduce somebody matters, right? If you've been dating somebody for a couple of years and you go to a, a social gathering and you start introducing him or her as your friend, there's a problem there and it might cause some repercussions for you later on, right? No wedding DJ when the bride and the groom are standing at the entrance to the reception hall, kind of languidly grabs the mic and says, oh, there they are, Jack and Jill. No, the wedding DJ understands the importance of an introduction, right? They grab the microphone. They probably stand up if they're seated. They tell everybody else to stand up to kind of get the energy flowing through the room. Then they say, Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you as husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. The way that we introduce somebody is important. And it becomes especially crucial when we are introducing somebody of great importance or of great relevance to the people who are gathered around us. Well, John the Baptist in the Bible was really the guy who was responsible for introducing Jesus to the Jews. And John knew that there was nobody who had ever walked this earth that was more important or relevant for the people gathered around him. In fact, for all people. And so John took that task seriously. 
So we're going to see John's introduction of Jesus in the verses that we're going to read from the the gospel from John chapter 1 today. Now, as we look at these verses, there are a lot of ways that that John kind of introduces Jesus. There are a lot of things that, that John says about him. And all those different things, all those little attributes and characteristics, we could, I mean, we could spend a sermon on each one of those things. We're not going to do that. Don't worry. Instead, we're going to focus on one. We're going to focus on the primary way that John introduces Jesus to these people. And as John makes this introduction, we are going to be encountered not only with who Jesus is, but also with what he is here to do and why he is worth our attention. So we're going to start here with just the the first few verses, beginning at John 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now we're going to wrap back around to what John says here in just a little bit, okay? For now, we're going to move on. Verse 30, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And this is John's not-so-subtle nod to Jesus' divinity. John was older than Jesus. John had begun his public ministry before Jesus. In what way, then, did Jesus come before him? It's because Jesus, the Son of God, is eternal. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And this is important. You see, John was wildly popular at this time. People were flocking into the wilderness around the Jordan River to hear from John, to maybe even have a chance to speak with this John guy. In fact, there were a lot of people who thought maybe John is the Messiah that we have been waiting for for so, 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 so long. But John knew that that was not his role. John knew that his purpose was to prepare the people to make their hearts ready with repentance and then to introduce the one that they were all waiting for, the one that they thought he might be to introduce the Messiah to them. John knew that his role, important though it was, was about to become swallowed up, really kind of made obsolete in the much greater importance of Christ Jesus' role. Maybe you can think of John a little bit with this illustration, thinking of him kind of like the opening act at a rock concert, right? They serve an important role. They're there to entertain the people for a little while. They, they get the energy revved up. They really set the tone for the rest of the, the evening, But then after their few songs are done, their their few pieces are played, they introduce the headliner, the one that everybody came to see. And when they diminish off into the wings, they're largely forgotten about, right? And it's that headliner that everybody is left talking about for the rest of the night, even after the concert is over. John knew that God had given him a, a great role. But the one even greater than he had come. And now it was John's time 
to diminish. And it was time for Christ to take that spotlight, to take that center stage. Let's move on. Verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. For those of you who were here last week, maybe you remember that the gospel lesson was that account of John baptizing Jesus at the Jordan River when the Spirit came down and descended upon him, when the the heavens opened up and that voice um, gave its approval to Jesus and to his work. But here as John calls Jesus the chosen one, he is saying something that would have immediately resonated in the minds of his Jewish hearers. You see, a number of times in the Old Testament, this Messiah who would come, this servant of the Lord, was referred to as God's chosen one. For instance, in Isaiah 42, verse 1, God says of him, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and will bring justice to the nations. And so John here, in calling Jesus, the chosen one, is pointing out this is the one who was prophesied, the one who has come, the Savior who has come to rescue the people and to bring justice to the nations. Well, it seems as if at this time, uh, Jesus kind of went off on his way without further incident or further hullabaloo, the encounter isn't truly over yet, though, because we continue with what we find here in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Okay, so John had some people that that followed him very closely, right? He had what we would call disciples, kind of like the disciples of Jesus. John had these disciples. Verse 36, when he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Echoing those words that we first read back in verse 29, where John also added that detail that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's what brings us to our first key point this morning. Jesus is introduced first and foremost as our Lamb. And in calling Jesus the Lamb... John was making another one of these very obvious connections in the minds of his initial first century Jewish audience. They would have identified that image of the lamb very closely with sacrifice. Day after day at the temple, It was little lambs that were offered as the sin or the guilt offering for the people. On the Passover, one of those three Jewish high holy days, festival days of the year, it was the lamb that was slaughtered. And there were a lot of other occasions in which the Israelites would sacrifice a lamb. And so the the Jewish people had this kind of 
constant physical reminder of their sin and their guilt very interwoven into their daily lives, as well as a reminder that guilt is something which must be paid for with blood. Now, we Christians living in 21st century America, we don't have that kind of physical in-your-face reminder, and yet that does not mean that our own sin and guilt is any less than it was for those people. The filth of our mouths, the misdeeds of our hands and of our lives, the violence that we commit against other people, if not physically, then so often, more, more often emotionally, with the things we say to them and the ways we treat them, God sees these as just offensive in his eyes as he did with his Old Testament people Israel. And the guilt of these things is just as damning now as it was then. Also just as, just as real is the fact that this guilt must be paid for with blood. So what? Should we go out, corral a bunch of animals, lead them in a parade up here to the altar, sacrifice them and burn them? No, that would be a, a fruitless pursuit. That, that would be worthless for us. Because the truth is that the blood of a lamb, the blood of any animal, cannot expunge my soul of a single sin much less the sum total of the guilt that I have in my life. The writer to the Hebrews makes that point very simply and plainly clear in chapter 10, verse 4, when he says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So then we have to ask the question, what was the point? What was the point of the, the sacrifice of all of those hundreds of thousands, if not millions and millions of animals that were burned up on the altars throughout Israel's long history? They did serve an important purpose. Just like John the Baptist, that purpose was a preparatory one. Those sacrifices pointed forward. Those sacrifices were the foreshadowing of the one who would come, of God's chosen one, the suffering servant of the Lord who would dwell among us, who would walk among us, and then who would go as a lamb to the slaughter. Seven, eight hundred years before Jesus was even on the scene, God spoke of this work that he would do. When he said he was oppressed and afflicted, Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life an offering for sin. John knows that he can't be that lamb who takes away the sin of the people because he himself was a sinful man. 
There is only one who can fulfill that role and take that work upon himself. The pure and holy Son of God, Jesus. There are so many things that we can talk about when it comes to Jesus' life. There are so many, so many ways that, that we could introduce Jesus to others. First and foremost, though, before Jesus can be anything else of consequence to us, we must first know him and believe in him as that lamb who takes away our sin, whose sacrifice removes our guilt so that we can stand guiltless before God. And John knew that that's what Jesus had come to do. And so he pointed him out to his disciples. And in effect, as John was doing this, he was sending them off sending them away from the discipleship of himself. It's as if John is saying, what are you still doing here with me? That's the one that you really need. Go and follow him. And so in verse 37, here's what we see. When the two disciples heard him, heard John say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And that brings us to our other key point this morning. Disciples who have been introduced to Jesus, introduce Jesus. We who have met this Lamb of God, now introduce him to our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, even sometimes to complete strangers, because we know that he is the one that all people truly need. Can you imagine if you knew the person who had the cure to cancer and was willing to hand that cure out freely to anyone who came to him and then you didn't tell all of your friends, all of your family members, everybody that you could find who, who had that disease, where he was, where he lived so that they could find that healing too? Well, Jesus is the one who has the far better cure to a far worse disease. And he's the only one who has it. We have already received treatment at his hands. We have been healed by contact with that lamb's blood. And now it is our privilege, it is our, our duty to introduce him to others. And you know, there, there are so many things that we could say about Jesus in introducing him. We could point out his, his amazing life. We could point at so many of the miracles that he did. We could show people the, the things that he taught and the things that he modeled for us. We could 
point out his commands for his people, his desires for our lives. We could show them his constant dedication to grace and truth. It's an introduction that could go on and on and on. And often it is going to be an introduction that goes on and on and on. First and foremost, though, we bring people to their lamb. The lamb who takes away not only our sin, but the sin of the whole world whose bloody sacrifice on the cross frees us from our guilt so that we can live in freedom as the redeemed and blood-bought children of our Father. We now get to leave here carrying the torch, wearing the mantle of John the Baptist himself as we proclaim to the nations and to our neighbors, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.